in a world full of straight people. Aren't you glad there's WOW Presents Plus, the number one place in the world to see Drag Race? And so much more. Subscribe to WOW Presents Plus. Still only $4.99. Subscribe today as streamed on TV. Folks, the bad news is Dave is not with us today. He is traveling. We had a limited window to get to talk to today's guest, which of course we jumped on because it's a, it's a very exciting one. Dave could not be here, but we will more than make up for it with today's conversation. I am here with the writer and director of, of an age, uh, which I just got to see last night. It premiered at the Melbourne International Film Festival one best film at Cinefest Oz. Screen Hub called it one of the most romantic movies I've ever seen. I will co-sign on that. It is now in theaters and only in theaters here in the US. Goran Stalevsky, how badly did I say your name just now? Oh, impeccably, sir. Thank you. <laughs> Thank, <laughs> Thank you for being here. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so you're in back-to-back -back interviews. How is your day going? Good. I mean, today's been like a little bit meetings in between the interviews as well. Uh, maybe a little bit more physically hectic than the previous two have been, but it's actually been really good. You know, like there's some, you know, beautiful moments and difficult moments when, a, you know, film is coming out and I'm finding uh, even the difficult moments are easier to handle. Like with through all these conversations, um, they've, they've been like, I feel like I'm connecting with a lot of great people. So it's been good. So before we get into... Um... The film that everyone needs to to watch immediately, uh, which is your film, obviously. Is there anything that you have watched lately that you loved? Um, well, okay, I live uh, on you know the forgotten side of the world in Australia, so the film Tar only made it there like two weeks ago, <laughs> um, and I've been you know, dying to watch it. Um, yeah, literally two days right before I flew. I mean, I, I literally locked picture on my uh, uh, third film, uh, like the Monday right before I flew out. And I, on Sunday, I somehow carved out three hours the day before picture locked to go watch Star because it was that important to me. Um, and I did not regret it. It was probably my favorite film I've seen uh, in the past year. Um, and just, yeah, three hours, but I felt like time was suspended from the moment I sat down to the moment it finished. I, I could watch like another three hours, really. Yeah, same. Um, so music plays an important role uh, in of an age, and I'm sure a lot of the, the, the references in the film are, are from your own youth, but um, what are you currently listening to? Um, I've kind of just had, uh, like, so, okay, I'm the film snob and the book snob in the household, and then my husband is the music snob, so I just inherit music. I don't really know anything about it. I'm not cool enough, but I've just been listening to Rosalia's uh, Motomori and Beyonce's Renaissance pretty much on loop for about, I think, six months now, <laughs> so uh, this might be old to the rest of the world, but, like, to me, it's still <laughs> very present tense, so, yeah. Absolutely. And uh, are you scrambling to get Beyonce tickets like the rest of us? 
Um, I, oh God, I'm not that organized, but I probably will be scrambling. I've never actually seen Beyonce live. I'm not very good when it comes to live music. I, I, I as in, I haven't been to much of it. Um, but yeah, of course, as soon as I get a chance. So the film is partly inspired by your experience, I, I believe, growing up in a Melbourne suburb. Um, paint a picture for us of teenage Goran. What was your place in like the high school hierarchy? What did your life look like? What was going on there? I think it was just part of the uh, outskirts of the high school hierarchy, the kind of uh, dregs on the side. I didn't, you know, uh, for better or worse, I don't think I took the brunt of it, but um, I was pretty anonymous. Um, and even honestly, like um, just in my day-to-day -day life, the, the rest of school was kind of invisible to me because to me, real life was happening where Catherine Hepburn was or where Julianne Moore was. I, you know, I think whatever was happening in, Suburban Melbourne in 1999 was, wasn't really of importance. Um, I think for feelings to have any kind of value that had to happen on a movie screen. Um, so yeah, I think um, I'm very much complicit in my status in high school. I don't think I can blame the other kids for it at all. Um, and sorry, there was another part to your question, but I've just gone off on a tangent. No, that's it, that's it. Well, I... And then I'm also curious about um, young Goran as a as a filmmaker. Can you paint that picture for us? Because you made, I think, 25 shorts over a period of 16 years. Is that right? Yeah, 20 years. Yeah. Um, I started making films around, uh, I think I was 17, uh, actually, uh, which is partly why this film is about someone who's 17 uh, and obsessed with a particular art form. Because um, it's not literally autobiographical, it's just kind of more emotionally, uh, you know, details of my uh, kind of mind and uh, mindset um, and understanding what I thought, you know, life was and love was at the time. Um, and in terms of uh, filmmaking, I sort of didn't really think filmmaking is something that would be attainable for me. Um, I was, I'm a child of my migrants. And, you know, it's lawyer, doctor, engineer, and it wasn't even like it was imposed on me, it was just like, as in my parents weren't particularly strict in any sense, but I was like, of course, I could only be a lawyer, doctor, engineer. If I could possibly have a dream job, it would be a film critic. So I actually wanted to be a critic. Um, I didn't even think of making, even though I was writing down ideas for movies and stories all the time, and I have no idea why, I had no idea why I was doing that. I was just documenting them um, and generating them constantly. I never thought of myself as someone who could be a filmmaker. And then in high school, in my like uh, second year, last year of high school, I took a subject that forced you to make a short film because um, that was one of the assignments. And I did it on purpose because I was like, oh, well, I, I could never possibly make a film later in life, uh, partly for socioeconomic reasons, but partly because I like the personality I was, I was very much like uh, unsociable. I was not very good <laughs> with other, other people. Um, whereas that was going to force me to somehow assemble a cast, you know, and kind of, for lack of a better term, a crew, just like innocent teenagers who were forced to just like hold a microphone stand or something. Um, and, you know, I shot that film. It was 18 minutes of unwatchably silly uh, drama, comedy drama. And even though it was not very good, I was addicted from that day on. Like, you know, um, there were no career, no legal career prospects for me. I was going to definitely be a filmmaker or, or even a failed one if that's what it took i just definitely was going to keep trying and cole one of the the lead characters in the film as you said is 17 he's just finished high school he is not 
uh, out at the moment that we meet him. I know it's not autobiographical, but where were you in your own journey at that age? Yeah, he's kind of closer to who I was as a 14-year-old, not really at 17, because um, when I was 17, I was uh, very much out and militantly <laughs> queer oh, wow. um, in my high school. Yeah, I was. I was. it was 2003 by the time I was 17, though, so it was a, a slightly different time. I think the internet and Will and Grace had shifted things a little bit, so... Um, I was still very, the only kid that was uh, out and queer uh, in my, you know, school and suburb, it seemed, seemed like. I mean, it was. I, no one else came out while I was there. Um, but I was such an, I think at that point I was such an anomaly that I kind of had it very easy as a result. Like, I don't really, I, I, I think I was just seeing this sort of strange and interesting that, like, it, I didn't have the experience that, you know, is constantly depicted in films of gay trauma. The trauma I had experienced was more internalized, and I wouldn't even call it trauma. A lot of it was about just the, you know, special kind of loneliness you experience as a queer person. To this day, I would say the first time you're realizing it. Uh, but also, uh, in 1999, before I'd quite trusted it for myself emotionally, um, you know, that was before technology made it somewhat easier and also in other ways more complicated to connect with someone who was similar to you, you know. So I kind of wanted to sort of... Uh, tap back into that mindset of the, the kid I was at, at that time and what, at what I thought love would be, uh, what I thought romance would be, and how that radically shifted the first time. And then even after that, how I still remained quite naive about a lot of things. Other than Will and Grace, I mean, you were, you were obviously a film buff. So were there, were there other examples of, you know, queer representation that you, you saw when you were young that um, made you feel less lonely? I mean, of course, like, even just, you know, I think, by the time I sort of realized I was gay, I was already very comfortable with, uh, you know, queerness, gayness in general. And that kind of came about through very much being exposed to certain movies. Um, so Wonka-wise, Happy Together, I watched at a time when I was probably pretty homophobic still, you know, and completely unaware of my homosexuality, despite the things it was doing to my body to watch, you know, uh, <laughs> those two guys do things on screen. Um, but like... That was also important because um, I, you know, initially I, I was kind of emotionally resistant to engaging with it because it was, you know, two men and so on. But somehow I kind of got more and more absorbed. And I still, at the end of it, would have, you know, definitely been like, oh, you know, gayness is wrong and bad. But somehow this story is really special. Um, and that that was the speed of something. And then, you know, gradually watching films by Todd Haynes and Pedro Almodovar out of film nerd reasons uh, turned into understanding, you know, like, well, pretty much seeing queerness as something like kind of uh, exciting and cool and beautiful. Um, so that by the time I was aware of it in myself, um, it was not actually that much of a crisis. Um, th there was then the loneliness took over, but even the lon loneliness I kind of didn't acknowledge to myself. I, I was sort of, con um, I've, I've been convinced from a very young age to sort of, I, I never want to see myself as a victim or or see be, be seen as one. So I kind of, really uh tried to veer away from that even in my thinking of myself and sort of focus not so much at the time I, I, the uh the approach was not to focus on my life in the present tense but more on the future tense because i felt like as soon as i get to university i'm going to meet all these exciting people queer and otherwise and then that's when real life was going to begin and is that what happened yeah, no <laughs> not that neat a trajectory <laughs> No, I mean, I definitely like you know, in terms of the queerness, for sure, I did I did meet queer queer people and like um, my 
uh, then boyfriend, now husband. I met, I was uh, 18 when we met. So, um, you know, it didn't take that long. It was only a few months out of high school. Um, and, and, you know, going into it, I didn't think it was going to be a lifelong re relationship. Just let me tell you, tell you, it was mainly just very turned on and he was very pretty, but, you know, here I am now and here he is with, traveling with me. Um, but no, in terms of like, I think that's also what I want to touch on in, in the film, how I thought, um, it wasn't just about life and love and romance. Just, I, I thought there would be, you know, all these intense connections that would form with interesting and various people. And to be honest, like I... Uh, it took a while to realize that I, I'm not very good at engaging with the present tense uh, at, at any age, really, and sort of seeing what's in front of me for what it is, except on a film set, ironically. <laughs> so, um, no, but I've also kind of, I think there's been just life never really evolves uh, or unfolds in the way that you would have expected to, you know, in your teenage years, surely. Um, and yeah, part of this film is sort of about dealing with the disappointments in, in the context of what, what you thought life and love and connection should be. Um, but also, um, I think there's a there's a flip side to it. I think the Adam version of the experience is very different and honestly much closer to my own in real life. In a world full of straight people, aren't you glad there's WOW Presents Plus, the number one place in the world to see Drag Race? And so much more. Subscribe to WOW Presents Plus. Still only $4.99. Subscribe today as streamed on TV. So let's talk about the film. So just to set the stage for our listeners, we're in suburban Melbourne. It's summer 1999. And this kind of 24-hour uh, romance takes place between a 17-year-old um, a and his best friend's older brother. And then they they reconnect a decade later. There's sort of a, a bittersweet reunion. So um, I read that the idea came in, in kind of in the thick of the pandemic. Production on your previous feature was halted and you had this um, sort of lull in your productivity. And to force yourself out of that, you were um, making yourself write three stories a day. Uh, one is that accurate? There's no way I could have generated three, man. <laughs> okay, I was already, even one is impressive. Okay, so my, my first question is just, what were those stories that you were writing? Um, they were pretty eclectic. Um, and actually, to be honest, this was the, I think the third or the fourth one I can't come up with. I think so it was the uh, fourth day of that exercise. And then this one took over because that's all I, I wrote for the next week. It took me a week to write the full um, script. Before that, um, they were eclectic, but a, a lot of the time, um, uh, and I don't want to go into too much detail because I'm, I'm, if I start thinking about them, I might get increasingly embarrassed about how maybe they weren't very good stories. But in a, in a general sense, like I remember they, uh, uh, I know the first and one of them revolved around kind of reflecting back on your life at a much older age, actually, as a 50-something as woman uh who was an academic and then the other one was about someone uh, who was a very uh an unsociable uh and very isolated interpreter in her 40s who just couldn't quite figure out how, how human society quite functions in the way it does and families and households do it's a very strange story but yeah like there both kind of topics that recur a lot in my writing so you know yeah maybe they're not very remarkable stories but they have to get to this point <laughs> Yeah, and, and you know, watching it, I was thinking about. I mean, I was thinking about a lot of things, but I, I thought about the 
Andrew Haig film uh, weekend uh, because it, you know, of an age has this great like understated emotional quality um, and, and, and both are, you know, gay love stories that take place over a condensed period of time, but mainly because both are movies that really made me cry in, in like a great, like kicked me in the gut with this like weirdly wonderful, uh, I don't know, ache that I, I, is, is sort of addictive. What films were you thinking about when it came to writing and directing this? It's such a beautiful way to phrase that experience. So, like, really moving to hear it, actually. Um, I, cause I was kind of write, writing from a gut place, so I wasn't thinking in the context of other films for the most part. And I was kind of trying to kind of put it all down on paper, well, you know, on Microsoft Word and then Final Draft, but as soon as possible. Um, and um, it was only, like, after a few days of writing when I was trying to kind of think of it a little bit of, you know, with a bit more distance and going, what is it similar to um, that I thought of uh, actually before Sunrise was the main film I, oh, I sure. thought of. And partly because that's something I watched when I was 10 or 11. And it was the first time, you know, it was my introduction to what romance is. Like, so I get, it, it kind of shaped my brain that then like, you know, uh, is that person who can get messed up a little bit later on? Because I was like, that's just the basic level of romance of course you know one day i was going to meet julie delpy on a train and like that in vienna and the rest of life was just going to be sorted you know from that because that was just a normal experience um but anyway thinking back to it so yeah i, I thought of that that was going to be uh, the reference for me and i thought that's the film that took in like the most took place in the most you know romantic setting imaginable but i, I wanted to set something in the least romantic setting imaginable but somehow still achieve the same feeling of poignancy and kind of romance that takes you a little bit out of your body, but also electrifies your entire body. Um, and then that's partly how I kind of uh, got to the idea of actually uh, taking the story all the way through to 2010, because uh, just for myself to get a context of the characters uh, in the context of Before Sunrise, then becoming Before Sunset, um, I was like, oh, what would their Before Sunset be like? And I kind of had a very strong idea of what their next encounter would feel like. Um, and then realized I kind of need that within this story. I don't think it's something I should wait for 10 years and I don't even know how viable that was going to be, you know? Um, so those, the, those were the main films I was thinking of. But I knew inevitably, you know, it was always going to be compared to like queer, queer love stories um, eventually. Um, but I was trying to see if I can connect to something like while keeping it as queer as could be. I didn't want to sanitize it in any way or dilute that. But I was wondering if there was something at the core that could like, you know, cut across and like hit uh, everyone equally hard. You know, you are kind of an invisible character in the film because we have um, Adam, who is the older of our two leads. And uh, he's the one who's sort of already out and a little more experienced in, in queer life and he has an ex who is Macedonian and his name is Quaran. Um, so how, how much of that piece is autobiographical? And, and uh, because th this is a show where we try to force our guests to share uh, personal stories about, about dating and relationships, anything you can share about like the, the real life relationships that inform this story? Mm. Well, I mean, it's not, at all autobiographical in a traditional sense. Like it's not events that happen to me. Um, I'm not, 
I'm not really one of them. I'm both of them. I think, again, people get distracted by the demographics and think I'm the ethnic migrant kid. Um, I have a lot more, uh, you know, uh, I'm probably much closer to Adam uh, as a personality. Um, and, uh, but like, you know, they're not concrete events that happened in my life. Uh, I, I rarely am drawn to sort of recapturing something that I've already lived in, in direct terms. I, I'm kind of like, this was more meant to be an emotional autobiography of like, putting in as many details of my, you know, my mindset and my feelings and, you know, how everything felt in my chest uh, at the time. Um, but arranging the details around a different story that kind of could live by itself um, and, you know, connect with other people. It wasn't just meant to be for me, obviously. Um, and uh, in that spirit, like putting as many details of myself in there as possible, I, I used my name. I also have a cameo. A lot of people don't pick up on it. <laughs> um i appear for three seconds yeah, yeah, yeah i'm the toxic dude that runs into him at the airport um that wasn't actually planned i never have any intentions of appearing oh. on screen but the practicalities on the day forced me to do it for reasons i wouldn't bore you with um it was a matter of scheduling like the most fascinating topic there is um so yeah, like there's a lot of me in it. There's details that uh, are my husband from come from my husband who does uh, behavioral science at the university and you know was about to study behavioral science at uni and used to drive me around these suburbs when we first met. Um, actually, those were our first dates. Um, so there, there are some of those parallels, but my rela relationship with him was very different um, and had a very different trajectory to what you see um, in this movie. Because you obviously met him really young when you were really young, uh, but it sounds like you, did, you didn't age. have a. The same you're the same age. Yeah. You did not have a period of time where he had to leave for several years to go get a PhD, and then you ran into him years later at a friend's wedding. No, but like that was one of the big uh, kind of crisis points in our lives when he did have to move away to Bristol <laughs> to do um, his postdoctoral research, um, and I was. Um, uh, it was like well into our relationship so um it was a matter of like uh something that was very inconvenient to my career trajectory but it was a matter of like I, in my case i chose to go with him and stay together um i know we have to let you go but uh tell us a little bit about uh finding the dream team assembling your avengers here making the film the people behind the camera in front of the camera and, and sort of why you you chose who you chose um, well, I, I worked with a lot of them on the previous film, <laughs> you know, I had uh, uh, Christina Seaton was my producer and Sam Jennings is her producing partner. Uh, Matthew Chuang, cinematographer, Bethany Ryan is the production designer, uh, Emma Bordignon is the sound designer, um, and she's working on my next film as well as we speak. <laughs> um, so that was a no-brainer because I kind of see them as my fellow auteurs. We have very similar tastes and kind of ideals and um the way i shoot films is quite unconventional and it's partly shaped in the way that kind of uh my cinematographer pushed me in a certain direction matthew chuang on set to kind of be very flexible or just gave me the option honestly and similarly my production designer beth um i always i, I would always be very specific on the first feature with with sets and go we're only going to do this direction and this is what we're going to do here or like shoot in this direction when you're assessing the, every location. But she always made sure to provide 360 degrees in some way, um, just as backup. And with every prop that wasn't going to be in close up, she always made sure that it could be if you needed to be. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly on the day when we started shooting my first film at the time, you won't be alone. 
um, that really freed up how we uh, operate on set and you find new things and new moments and you, you can be really alive to it. And then that kind of uh, stream of ideas and constant creativity and generating moments leads to a certain kind of energy on set, both for the cast and the crew. And the, and it's something that we all really loved on You Were Alone. So we had the same approach on Oven Age as well. And then bringing in uh, with the actors, I was looking uh, for people who kind of could also be very much present in the moment in a real way, rather than thinking about what they're going to look like on screen or how their characters are going to come off on screen. It was literally about you're living in a you know minute to minute reality and operating, reacting to who's in front of you and how how they look, how they're looking, how they're breathing, and and you kind of calibrate yourself to that instinctively. It's an unthinking process. You know we all behave differently according to how the person in front of us is behaving, um, but like it's unfortunately extremely rare to find actors who are even aware of how you know the other person on on screen is who are even curious about the other person. There's a lot of self absorption. I mean, I think the only people more self-absorbed than actors are probably directors. So, you know, I have to be checking myself constantly a lot more than I, I do them. But yeah, I was very lucky to find these three kids. I keep calling them the kids, they're adults. Um, Patty, Elias, and Tom, who play the three main roles. But but and also a kind of a family formed with the rest of the cast as well. And we still actually all regularly catch up to this day. Can you say anything about what your next film is? Yeah, sure. So I just finished editing it. It's called Housekeeping for Beginners. Um, it's, uh, it takes place in Macedonia in the present day though. Uh, so the country I was born in and I still go back to a lot. It's sort of, um, it's, it revolves around a queer woman who lives uh, in a house she inherited from family that's quite large. And she lets a lot of uh, other uh, queer people stay in it who have been uh, kicked out of home. And uh, which sounds very grim, but it's actually more like a fun uh, space, a cocoon, you know, like more of a party atmosphere. Um, her partner lives with her as well, and the partner gets a terminal diagnosis and needs to think about uh, the two girls who's going to live leave behind and uh, what kind of way there is for uh, this main uh, gay character to uh, adopt them uh, in a place where you you know you definitely can't legally adopt children as a queer person, but also even just being near children is seen as a risk to your physical safety because you're not seen as uh, you know you're seen as a dirty human being. Um, but I'm sort of like much more interested, not, not in, I, I kind of am taking the oppression for granted and we all know that it exists. I'm much more interested in how they're li living it, their day-to-day -day life and how they're forming connections with each other or refusing to form connections with each other and what moments are fun, um, and uplifting and then which ones are heartbreaking in a way that is actually universal. Um, and yeah. Great. When it comes out, you want to talk about it, you know where to go. Uh, we I'd will be here you. eagerly waiting. I'm ready to talk as soon as it's out. I'm, I'm actually obviously very excited to talk about that one as soon as possible at the moment. So, yeah. Goran, thank you so much for being here. The film is of an age. Thanks so much, Matt. Homophilia is a World of Wonder podcast produced and engineered by the wonderful Renee Colbert. Our theme song is by the amazing Ben Wise. We want to thank the incredible Michael Pressman and everyone at World of Wonder. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at homophiliapod and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts already. Thank you.